Greetings and welcome to Shnaim Mikra, the podcast series sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org, in which we study, investigate, and analyze one aliyah per podcast of the current week's parasha. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and we are studying parashat Balak this week. We are now on the fourth aliyah, uh, which begins the series of prophecies, attempted curses that turn into blessings, spoken by the prophet-slash-wizard Bilam uh, at Balak's behest, but turns, of course, to Balak's dismay. Uh, we pick it up in Pasuk Lamed uh, Tet. We are, once again, uh, the end of the Aliyah, as I mentioned in the last podcast, indicates that Bilam is constrained by God's directives. And now they're going to go to attempt to curse the people. Remember, the people are spread out over a very wide camp in the plains below Moab, in the plains opposite Jericho, right near the Jordan River. So the uh, spot where Balak is right now is about south and somewhat east of where the camp is. So the first place they come to is a place called Chutzot. And Balak, here without any uh, instigation of Bilam, offers up cattle and flock, assuming somehow that the process they're going to be involved in will start by appeasing the gods. So now we find out that there's Balak, there's a delegation of princes, and Bilam, and he sends, and this word Vaishalach also means to cut meat up, it probably is the root of the Hebrew word shulchan, table. In any case, he sends some meat to them. Vahiva boker. So now it was in the morning, which means, evidently, that we've had another overnight. They go up to a place which is called Bamot Baal. What do we know about this place? Well, the first thing is, it's obviously a high place, Bama. But the second thing is, it's a worship site, a worship site of Baal. Baal is not the god of Moab. Baal is a name for the generic Canaanite gods. And yet this place is called Bamot Baal, <coughs> which may mean that there was Canaanite worship practice being uh, done in Moab. It may mean that this is where some of the Emorim, who had come over, had set up a worship site, and Bnei Israel had defeated them. In any case, it was, a, from their perspective, a holy site. And from there, you could see a corner of the people. So now, this is Balak's setup. I want Bilam to be in a position, after having offered a sacrifice, gotten himself all holy rollered, and now he's in a position, which in a holy site, to see the people. So Bilam then turns to Balak and says, and this is now the magic, as it were. Build for me here seven altars, seven bulls and seven rams. Whether that means one bull and ram on each altar, or, I mean, that seems to be how it would play out. Remember, Balak had said, I'll do whatever you ask. That was the second delegation's word. So Balak sends the, sets this up. And now these offerings are done at Bilam's behest. And so, indeed, the way they set it up was one bull and one ram on each altar. Now, the question here is, are they doing this because they recognize that the God of Israel accepts offerings 
and they're hoping to appease him. Are they hoping to appease their own gods through their own offerings? Unclear. Stand next to your Ola. And then I will go. Perhaps God will encounter me. In other words, what Bilam is presenting to Balak is not what Bilam presented to his ministers. To his ministers back home, he indicated that God would come to him whenever he went to sleep. Here, he has set up this offering and he says, Perhaps Hashem will encounter me. And he'll show me something and I'll tell you. So he is not committing to go and curse. He is committing to go and see if perhaps the God of Israel will communicate with him and perhaps communicate a vulnerability of the people. And he went, perhaps this may mean he went off limping. And God appears to Bilam, famous distinction between Moshe and Bilam. Here it's Vayikar, with Moshe it's Vayikra. Here it's a cold, almost after the fact encounter, as opposed to a loving engagement with Moshe. Vayomer Elav. And Bilam now speaks to, to God and says, Et arachti. I have set up seven altars. Va'al and now we get the sense that Bilam is, perhaps as his original plan, or perhaps after the fact, using these seven altars to try to appease the God of Israel. I've brought these altars to you. And so, whether that means that he says, now you should do what I want, or give me more latitude in what I'm going to say, or whether it means now I'm prepared for prophecy, the latter is what takes place. God puts something into Bilam's mouth. What's the word? You go back to Balak and this is what you tell him. Now this is turning everything around. Balak sent Bilam to utter words to God about the Jewish people. God turned things around and says, you go back and I'm going to put words that you should tell Balak. So the words that he's going to use are not going to be words about the people, the word, oh, to the people, the words about the people to Balak. And let's find out what it is. He's standing just as Bilam ordered him to stand by the Ola, stand by it as it's burning up. They're all around. And by the way, Zikni Midian have been out of the picture since the beginning. And then he begins his mashal, means his parable or his poetry. And here is how it goes. And this is how we find out that Bilam was brought from Aram. He starts telling the story. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram. He has led me from Aram. Meharei from the mountains of the east. And what was his message? Come, and it's all poetic Hebrew. There's going to be some Aramaisms in, in, in here, as there are nearly always in biblical, in biblical poetry. And he uses Yaakov and Yisrael as parallels. Come, curse Yaakov for me, come and anger or create anger against Israel. And his answer now in this poetry is Ma'ekov lo kaboel, ma'ezom lo So what he does is he turns the two requests or the poetic parallel of the request that Balak made to him, and he turns it inside out and says, "How can I curse if God is not cursed?" And how can I anger if Hashem is not angered? And notice a subtle parallel here 
which is so beautiful and already speaks from the very beginning of the inevitable, absolute failure of Balak's plan, which is that he uses two names for the people, Yaakov and Yisrael, and he uses in parallel two names for God. So to say, these are God's people. God's name is on these people. There's no way in the world that I'm going to be able to curse them because God has not cursed them. There is no way that I have an independent ability to curse. And Bilam here, as he's from the beginning, has admitted to his absolute impotence uh, when it comes to cursing, it's only what God allows him to do. And then he begins to speak beautifully about the nation. Kimerosh Tsurim Erenu. I see them from the top of rocks. That's where he's standing, the top of this mountain. Umigvaot Ashurenu. Ashurenu is a Aramaic word used often in biblical poetry, uh, like Banot Tzada Aleishur. It means to see something from a high place or from a wall. And what do I see? Hena'am levadad yishkon uvagoyim lo yitchashav. This nation dwells alone and is not reckoned among the nations. Now that can be read numerous ways, and that's the nature of poetry, of especially biblical poetry, to have, to be like a prism that can be read in multiple ways. But what he seems to be saying here contextually is that this nation dwells alone and is not reckoned among the other nations. The rules don't apply. It has its own system that it works by, sweet generous. And then, Mimana Afar Yaakov Mispart Rova Yisrael. Who could count the dust of Yaakov, meaning the children, or count the seed of Israel, meaning they are beyond counting? Tamot Nafshi Moti Sharim Uti Achritikamahu. And here he says something which is most bold, especially considering this is the beginning of this whole process. He says, let me die the death of the straight, of the righteous, and have an ending like theirs. In other words, he says, this nation is a nation that has a glorious future and a glorious end. And I wish I could even die, he's invoking his own death, in order to be able to have an end like they have. That's the first thing that he says. And at this point, he hasn't really said anything that negates Balak's mission, except at the beginning, where he says, I can't curse because uh, God hasn't cursed, but he lauds the people, but he hasn't yet given the people, shall we say what we're going to see later on, uh, from his perspective and from what Balak is going to hear, a real blessing of power and highlighting the impotence of all of the enemies, including Moab, in the face of God's people. So Balak turns to him when he's done and says, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, and instead you blessed them. This is what he says. Didn't I tell you? Whatever God puts in your mouth, that's what I'm going to keep. That's what I can say. I can't say anything more. Get angry at me, but that's not the deal. Now notice again how much this evokes the image with the donkey and Bilam. That the donkey did not do what Bilam wanted. Bilam struck him. And finally the donkey turns around and says, what do you want from me? I can't do anything different. I'm constrained. And now Bilam's in the exact same position to say to Balak, don't punish me. I'm constrained. I can only say what it is that God tells me to say. So we will pick it up. And again, this Aliyah, again the Baalei HaMasorah, the Masoretes, arranged it so that this is the constant message through the Parsha, which is that all the greatest wizards in the world can only speak up uh, about God's people, what God allows them to say. Um, and we'll pick it up in the next Aliyah, in the fifth Aliyah, with the second uh, beginning with the second attempt of Balak 
to utilize his wizard to curse the people. Meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.